here we go. First solo cast in a little bit of a minute. I try to keep these a little bit more consistent. And life has uh, life has interfered in many ways from making a consistent quarterly solo cast. So uh, sometimes I'll get a couple of these in fairly close proximity and uh, then not one for a while, that kind of deal. But we have an outline, a very short outline today of what I want to talk about. Because when I do solo casts, I feel like based on uh, when I get to interact with podcast listeners face to face, that uh, you know, answering all these questions, you know, about hey, you should do something on this, or you should talk about this. I want to hear you talk about that. I've got a lot to talk about when I do solo casts, and they're all over the fucking place. They're not, um, they're not very streamlined. And even with an outline, it's not streamlined. I'm going to jump from one thing to the next, and it's going to be, you know, it doesn't really fit. Like it could be its own show, its own topic. But it's better this way. In my opinion, it makes it a hell of a lot easier for me to sit down and talk about talk about it all in one podcast. So we're going to talk today about uh, everything that I've had going on on the land, land stewardship, uh, building out the farm. And uh, Chad Johnson will be coming back on the podcast here at the end of the year, and we'll be deep diving quite a bit in that. So we'll touch on that. We're going to touch on health, full temple reset. We'll touch on the tenets of health, in my opinion, the easiest ways to get healthy fast. We're going to talk about Fit for Service Sedona. Uh, That was our final event of the year. And it easily was the fuck, my favorite fucking event that we've ever done. Just incredible. We'll talk about that. And what I, what I spoke about that at that event, what I spoke about at that event, there we go, um, was really about synchronicity and the alchemy of light and dark. So we'll get into that positive shit. And then, um, one of the most fantastic things, I mean, there's a lot of fantastic writing from Charles Eisenstein, um, but uh, his latest on Substack on Amnesty is just fucking perfect. And I'm going to read that whole fucking thing. And it's super important that we understand this as a culture because we are moving in a good direction. I want us to move and to continue to move in a good direction. And I don't want a replay of what happened in the last two years to happen. I also understand that people as a a culture, we have to heal and that's going to require some things. It's going to require some level of forgiveness. If you don't forgive, remember Paul Selig, anything you damn damns you right back. Anyone you hold in the darkness, a part of you is holding them in that cave. A part of you is stuck in the cave with them if you hold someone in darkness. So understanding the spiritual context of the game, what does that mean? Does that mean we just fucking forgive everyone and allow shit to go on the same way that it was? No, we can't do that. We cannot allow for a repeat of what happened in the last two, two and a half years. We have to learn from our mistakes, no matter where they were, and everyone made mistakes, no doubt. Um, and improve. And we have to improve the way we communicate with one another. You know, that's that's likely one of the biggest ones. It is also why the fight for less censorship and the fight for free speech is imperative to so many people. It's imperative to so many people because without that, totalitarianism's in place, right? It's the first thing they take. Then they come for your guns, then fucking whammo. And my buddy JP Sears did potentially One of the most illuminating and eye-opening videos I've ever seen, I will link to it in the show notes, Jose, please find it, of every country who had their guns taken from them, willingly gave their guns, I should say, back to the government, how long it took for them to fall into some type of mass genocide uh, from the government, from their own government. And it's just 
mind-blowing. There's quite a few where you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I had heard about that. Or, oh, okay, you know, no, I had no idea. There's so many countries at different times have already gone through this. And it's pretty easy to just let that slip through and, and not think about it. If you're like me, you're like, fuck history. I'm in the now. I'm doing my thing. I want to have my goals to attain. And, um, and even if you're into history, you're likely into a certain type of, hopefully you're into hardcore history and different things like that. We're actually going to get the real history of a situation, but history told by the winners is not always that accurate. And, uh, JP's video is super illuminating on that. So we do have major issues on the horizon and we've got some minor issues on the horizon, but I think it's important that we have a shared view of the horizon. And that's really um, one of the tenets that Mark Gaffney gets into in his new book, uh, The Phenomenology of Eros and uh, the four series book. I believe I talk about that in the intro with my podcast with him. Um, so look, we're going to get in all that. Eisenstein, Gaffney, uh, everything I've been learning, everything I've been teaching, and then some, and it's going to be dope. So I'm pumped. There are many ways you can support this podcast. First and foremost, share it with somebody who who might like it. Share it with somebody who's into the topic of the day. So if uh, you know somebody's trying to lose weight, and I talk about losing weight, and I give good good pointers, and you've tried the damn thing and lost weight and you feel better, excellent podcast to share with them. If uh, if you know somebody is curious about the whole you know, talk around amnesty and the need to forgive and all the things that have happened in the last two years with, with COVID and you, people want to move on and you're like, all right, well, Charles Eisenstein said it better than anybody. I'm going to link to his Substack in the show notes. So you guys can click that and share that with friends, share the podcast too, but share that with friends, share all this shit that, that helps the podcast for sure. And the other way is to leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways the show has helped you out in life. My brothers and sisters at Organifi are still giving away uh, one of a handful of my favorite supplements from them. It's either going to be the green, the red, or the gold at the end of every month to one lucky winner. Now, let me tell you something. You ain't that lucky if you get it. Like, it really doesn't have to do with luck. It has to do with what your review looks like. Spoiler alert. If you leave a bomb-ass review, and it doesn't have to be your life story, but a really good review on what you gain from this show odds are you're going to win it. And we had two entries last month. So y'all, like we, we really need more. Your five-star rating is cool, but when you leave the review, that's what enters you into the contest and then uh, leave your social handle and we can reach out to you to get your free product. All right. Uh, also support these sponsors because these sponsors make the show possible. I've handpicked them all. They are phenomenal sponsors and they cover a wide variety of things, even though most of it has to do with health and wellness. There's still really important stuff like um, your health and wellness of your security online, stuff like that with Aura. So very important things. Uh, I really love and have used every single one of these. So when you buy from them, you are supporting this spot, uh, podcast indirectly and that supports me directly, and I love it, and I really appreciate it. So please continue to do that. These guys are awesome, and this is the products that I take. I'm, I buy quite a bit of the supplements from these companies uh, using my old coupon code just because I've, I've had so much sent for free, and they've been around for so long. It's like I can't expect them to keep sending me free gear, and I still buy it because it works, and I love it. So check it out. We are brought to you today by curednutrition.com slash KKP. Rise is a nootropic formulated by Cure's very own in-house clinical herbalist. It contains a blend of lion's mane and cordyceps mushrooms, rhodiola, ginseng, and broad-spectrum CBD. 
This is a phenomenal product to take in the morning. It's one of my all-time favorites. It's a whopper of really high-end organic broad-spectrum CBD. Lion's Mane, as you know, I mean, fuck, it's hard to keep going into these things every single time I talk about it because you know Lion's Mane is an excellent mushroom. It actually grows and looks like a brain. It looks brain-like, um, which nature kind of has a tendency to do like that. You know, <laughs> you want to help your blood, you eat red things. You want to help the liver, eat liver. Um, so really funny that lion's mane looks like the brain. It definitely helps the brain. It helps with cognitive function. It helps with memory, language recall. Cordyceps mushrooms, I've talked about quite a bit over the years. Cordyceps synesis helps with mitochondrial function, meaning you're going to generate more ATP to the muscle. If you're lifting weights, that gives you more energy when you lift. If you're sprinting, it gives you more energy. If you're podcasting or performing or doing anything that's going to require high amounts of brain power, your brain is using a lot of ATP and you have more mitochondria in the brain and the heart than anywhere else in the body and uh, from an organ standpoint, and that's pretty phenomenal. So helping the mitochondria helps the brain. Super important. Rhodiola is really good at aiding in oxygen transport and helping you get the most out of each breath. It's a phenomenal product for endurance and it works very well uh, as a nootropic because it's enhancing your oxygenation of the body, which is critical for the brain. Ginseng has long been known as an energizer, uh, boosts the immune system. It's just phenomenal. And of course, our broad spectrum, really high-end CBD, which I love. Uh, also, if you do take Kratom, you need CBD. CBD is what's going to help that your body from not building a tolerance to it. And then you can get the same dose that you always took and be happy there. Love this stuff. Um, the Zen is actually my favorite thing to take at night from Cured Nutrition. Uh, the CBD caps are great, or the CBN night caps are really good if I want to just knock out. But I really like Zen. I can take that. It's got a number of other things like Rishi mushroom, ashwagandha, chamomile, passion flower, and still the whopper of CBD. I take it 45 minutes before I go to sleep, and it just relaxes like a ah, you know, I'll have a snooze in or or a Lucy um, uh, nicotine pouch. And I'll listen to Audible and I'll relax and I'll feel good and I just feel really good. And then when I go to bed, I'm, I fall asleep feeling awesome. It's like, oh, this is lovely. All right, I'm out. And I uh, wake up feeling great. No grogginess. So lots from Cured Nutrition. Um, check it out. C-U-R-E-D-N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-N.com slash KKP and use code KKP at checkout for 20% off everything in the store. These guys are awesome. Massive, massive thanks to you guys at Cured Nutrition. Do you know if you're getting enough magnesium? Because four out of five Americans are not. And that's a big problem because magnesium is involved in more than 600 biochemical reactions in your body. Today, I want to talk to you about the most common signs to look for that could indicate your magnesium deficient. Listen carefully to the end because there is a Black Friday special offer happening. And this could be exactly what you need. Here you go. Are you irritable or anxious? My hands raised. I, don't, I know I'm not the same on video, but hands raised. Irritable. Yeah, I've, I've been irritable lately. Do you struggle with insomnia? Do you experience muscle cramps or twitches? That's a big one, y'all, especially if you're in ketosis or doing carnivore. That's a very big one. Do you have high blood pressure? And a lot of people I work with uh, on a client coach level have high blood pressure. And this is one of the fastest things to knock down via magnesium and fasting. We'll get into fasting later on the podcast. Are you sometimes constipated? That's a lot of people as well, unfortunately. There are dozens of symptoms of magnesium deficiency. Those, these are just a few of the most common ones. Now, here's what most people don't know. Taking just any magnesium supplement won't solve your problem because most supplements use the cheapest kinds that your body can't use or absorb. 
That's why I exclusively recommend Magnesium Breakthrough. It is the only full-spectrum magnesium supplement with seven unique forms of magnesium that your body can actually use and absorb. Here comes the best part. The makers of Magnesium Breakthrough by Optimizers are having a Black Friday special offer. From November 21st through the 29th, you can get not only Magnesium Breakthrough, but all Bioptimizers best-in-class products with 25% off. <laughs> 25% off. Now, these guys are normally 10% off with my coupon code, and they're giving it to you at great prices. I, I promise you, their margins are very low. They're giving it at great fucking prices to begin with. So 25% off is massive. Just go to www.buyoptimizers.com slash Kingsboo and enter code Kingsboo10 in all caps. That's Kingsboo and the number 10 to get 25% off any order. Y'all, I will be placing a massive order just like you guys to get this discount. One more time, that's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash K-I-N-G-S-B-U and Kingsboo10. Now remember, in the show notes, we're going to have all these URL links and uh, Jose, just put the code next to it. That way people can copy and paste and throw it in there. Do you know what the fastest growing crime rate in America is? For years, the crime's rate has been surging and affecting millions of Americans. I'm talking about identity theft, and it happens to one in 20 Americans. Yet despite this, those who have had their identity stolen are often shocked when it happens. Imagine trying to log into your email account one day only to see the password had changed hours ago. Then you start getting notifications of activity from your bank, credit cards, crypto accounts. That's when the feelings of panic, fear, anxiety, paranoia, disbelief, shock, anger, and frustration and guilt all set in. That's why I'm excited to partner with Aura, who's sponsoring this podcast. Aura is identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software all combined into one easy-to-use app. Aura monitors the dark web for your emails, passwords, and social security numbers, and sends alerts fast right to your phone and email. When it comes to fraud, every second matters. Connect your credit and bank accounts and get notified of any changes up to four times faster than Aura's competitors. Their VPN allows you to stay anonymous online by keeping your browsing history and personal information safe and encrypted. And their antivirus software will block malware and viruses before they infect your devices. Protect you and your family from America's fastest growing crime. Try Aura free for two weeks and see if any of you or your family's personal information has been compromised. That's right. You get to try it for free when you click the link. Aura.com slash Kyle. And they're gonna you're gonna enter in your information and they're gonna let you know is your stuff has it surfaced. When I first signed up with these guys, I saw a bunch of my passwords from Google and other places had been compromised. That had changed a whole ton of shit. You get that part for free. That's massive, right? And then you get ongoing stuff if you stick with them. I've signed up for the family plan just to have my wife and I on there, and it makes it so much easier not worrying about uh our phones getting under attack and different information because the last thing you want to do is have to turn in banks, bank cards and, and try to ask for money back from the bank. That's not a, not a fun feeling. And it's happened to me in the past. I had a guy, uh, two purchases, about 3000 bucks made in Florida with a card that I had in my wallet. I'm like, how is this possible? Uh, got that information back, but none of this shit's happened since I've started working with Aura. It's fantastic. A-U-R-A.com slash K-Y-L-E. Try it for free for 14 days. And thank you, Aura, for sponsoring this podcast. Last but not least, we are brought to you by PaleoValley.com. PaleoValley is one of my very favorite companies in the game. 
Autumn Smith, their CEO and founder, was recently on the podcast, and she was incredible. She had a wealth of knowledge. I'll link to that podcast, number 269, in the show notes. Um, Just an incredible person who had a ton on the health of our food, the health of the soil, the health of actually what's going into user products, like the ones they sell versus the mass-marketed stuff, where you might be buying something that's claimed to be grass-fed, and it's finished on grains, and is pumped full of chemicals. Uh, just, Just a phenomenal wealth of info. And what they put together is a phenomenal company. These guys make supplements. They make great supplements, supplements that are super convenient, like apple cider vinegar capsules. Well, I'm, I'm like you. I like to drink it. I think it tastes mad decent. It helps with sore throats and a number of other immune things. It helps with gut issues if I've eaten a bad meal and I want to help move it through. But when I'm traveling, it's kind of hard to take a glass container of Bragg's full of apple cider vinegar with you on an airplane. That doesn't work. Um, the capsules make it super convenient and... Uh, They are easier to get down if you've got kids and they don't like the flavor of apple cider vinegar, but they've got a little stomach bug and stomach bug and you want to help them out. So that is one of my all-time favorites from them. They have several other supplements. And then of course, my mainstay with these guys are the Paleo Valley beef sticks. I use them all the time. Uh, They're in my backpack. They're in my truck. I do swap them out or try to eat them quickly instead of leaving them in the heat because Texas gets quite hot in the summer, but they're everywhere. I have them in the pantry. I have them upstairs so I don't have to go downstairs. If I need a snack in in my office, I have the Paleo Valley beef sticks right there so I don't have to run downstairs. I don't have to break my work. Throw it at your desk. Have it at your desk because clean and delicious and healthy snacks are one of the very few ways that you can mitigate going bad, right? There, there's a lot of ways that we can fuck up our diets. And one of the worst ways is through snacking. And the second worst way or equally worst way would be through snacking with something that's not good for you. So when you have this stuff around, it makes it easier. It makes it convenient. And I'm not a big fan of snacks. If I could eat, skip breakfast and just do lunch and dinner, that's what I'll do. But sometimes if you're doing a lot, and people don't really think this way, but if my brain is working all day long, that's chewing through carbohydrates, it's lowering blood sugar, and it is depleting, right? That means I need to nourish more. I need to eat more, and I need to eat the right foods more, more of the right foods. So having an amazing grass, 100% grass-fed beef uh, stick, which is going to have higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids, more bioavailable and higher levels of vitamins and minerals, glutathione, which is the master antioxidant in the body, CLA, which is the fat that burns fat, and it's keto-friendly. I mean, this is a, this is a big one. You know, there, There's a lot of ways we throw that off, and it's all of a sudden you're back on the carb cycle because you ate something that shot blood sugar up, and two hours later, your body's demanding. They're saying, hey, wait a minute, we have no blood sugar, more blood sugar. And you're like, I just ate. That's a part of the problem, right? We got to snap that. And you can snap it with really high-end healthy snacks available to you at paleovalley.com. So that's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com and enter the discount code KYLE, K-Y-L-E, for 15% off everything in the store. <sighs> On the solo cast. Mm-mm-mm. So land, land stewardship, what does that mean? Um, it is something that I have felt strongly called to do for many years, um, really starting not my whole life because I was a city kid, but really started around being on the countryside with my great uncle's house. He had 40 acres of peach orchard in central California and a number of awesome mules we'd go riding on, having fun, 
Um, my great aunt Donna would make us peach everything, peach cobbler, peach pies, peaches and cream, just awesome, awesome goodies. And I liked the feeling there. I couldn't quite put my feeling, my feelers. I couldn't put my, I couldn't articulate it. Like I can't can't even fucking articulate it right now, (laughs) but I couldn't articulate it then. The feeling of peace and calm and not boredom. There's a lot to do, but, but peace and calm. And over the years, you know, you travel, you do vacations, you do different things. Sometimes vacations are so jammed, packed full of to-dos that you don't actually don't rest and you come back feeling depleted. But as I've, you know, traveled to more and more places and spent more time by myself, I've realized like there's a lot that I can accomplish if I create space internally. We'll talk about this, uh, you know, in the health portion, creating space internally, super important. But when you get to a certain area, there is a resonance of the place you're in. There is that morphic resonance. There is what Dr. Will Tegel called an eco-field. You have your own inner eco-field, and a lot of people like to picture this like a toroidal field, um, you know, coming up through the body, out through the head, back around, and then back up like a giant donut. I like that visual. Um, but there's eco-fields everywhere, and there's an eco-field in your backyard. There's an eco-field in the country. There's an eco-field in Central Park in New York. All of them contain their own resonance because of all the living beings that inhabit it and the and the the energy of all those living beings and as they co-relate with one another that creates its own field and it interacts with all the other fields nothing's independent it's all interconnected talk about interconnection here with Gaffney and uh, my talk in Sedona but point being I for many years was called to steward the land and really just to be on the land and to listen to the land and to to really come into a relationship with it where I can listen. And that may seem uh, silly or not that specific, but the truth is the more time I've spent on the land, the more I have come into communication with it. One of the things I spoke about um, in Fit for Service in Sedona was synchronicity. How does synchronicity work? This is a big one. It's from Jung too. So if you think this is some kind of new age bullshit, Carl Jung was the guy that first coined synchronicity. And one of the things he talks about, one of the things that I like to relate to it is, it, it's so obvious it's beyond coincidence. Now you could just say, oh, wow, what a coincidence, right? And one of the examples I used was, uh, I mean, we're going to be telling a lot of stories that I've told before on this podcast, but linking them in together with a thread that you likely haven't heard before, unless you're in Sedona, repeat. <laughs> but my point is this. Um, it was my wife's birthday in 2019, and we just got our 2020, we just got our house in February. And I bought a ton of plants for the backyard. I bought some fruit trees. Um, I bought four different bunch bamboo since we're on a 10th of an acre and it's really small and you're backed up against fucking everyone's house. They can just peek over and see you and we want a little privacy. So I put this bunch bamboo in and as I'm putting it in, I immediately recognize like, oh yeah, uh, this is really cool because bamboo is awesome. It provides us privacy, but it also takes a lot of carbon out of the air and pumps out a lot of oxygen. It cleans out uh, VOCs, it does a lot of good. It's going to be really cool having this here. And then the the cynic came in in my head and was like, no, dummy, you put fucking four plants in the ground. That's going to do nothing. And I was kind of kind of demoralized. I was like, oh, yeah, it really isn't going to do shit. What can I do? What difference can I make? And then I remembered something I've read through many different places, including my brother Charles Eisenstein, that any act that is done good or bad, any act that is done however small is felt through the totality of consciousness because we are one. 
because everything is interrelated, the smallest act is felt through consciousness. So that small act of good I did in my backyard with a handful of plants on a tenth of an acre, I recognized that that was felt through the all of consciousness. And the second I agreed and recognized that, a fucking hawk was circling right above me in, in real time and cried out. The moment it clicked for me, I heard the and I was like, what the fuck? And I looked up, tears immediately. That's synchronicity. And it's, you know, the timing of it is so undeniable. And when you experience it for yourself, you will know. There is nothing else but the interconnectivity woven through the fabric of all of consciousness. That is actually the fourth, I don't know which number it is, but it's one of the 12 faces of Eros that Gaffney gets into. And I'm going to dive into a little bit more on this podcast, but not a ton because we've got Gaffney coming back for round fucking hundred if we can. We'll get him for, we'll get him as far as many podcasts as we can. Um, but that is one of the phases of Eros. And if you need a backtrack, go back to my, my podcast that just released last week with Gaffney. If you want to dive into a little bit more on what is Eros, what is desire? Why is it important? Why is allurement important? How does it work uh, as a function or driver for all of consciousness and for the, the, large and weak forces within the cosmos? How does it work for the, the, on the metaphysical level, the quantum physical level? All of this stuff matters. Gaffney really breaks that down. But interconnectivity, you know, taking that one face of Eros, how does interconnectivity show up for us? It shows up for us in synchronicity. And synchronicity has been a driving force in my life for some time. It really has. Um, it's led me to the land, but Many, many plants and animals helped lead me to the land and not just plant medicine. When I was in Sedona a year before this trip, Parangi was doing a um, ecstatic dance and I had a honeybee that landed on my drink. And I was like, oh, hey, I don't want to squish you. So I put my finger next to him. I said, climb on board. Guy climbs up and hangs out on my hand. And I was just in awe staring at him. He wasn't going anywhere. I was just looking at him or she wasn't going anywhere. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. No fear of getting stung. I was on a little, little bit of goodies. So I was just heart open, having a great time. And then after 10 minutes, I was, I mean, I'm showing people and shit and just spending time with it, seeing what information it had for me. And I really felt a strong calling to the land. I really felt a strong calling to the soil and to the pollinators and to the flowers and to all the things that make. Paul Chuck calls it the sex organs of the earth. I wanted to participate in the sex organs of the earth. And I wanted to help cultivate more sex of the earth. This flows of Gaffney. And I'm listening to this, listening to this uh, amazing bee. And then finally, I was like, I want to dance. You're welcome to fly off whenever you want. It stayed on my hand for another 20 minutes during this ecstatic dance. And I was fucking moving. I wasn't doing kundalini shakes trying to get him off. But 30 minutes, this bee danced with me. It was one of the fucking most profound experiences I've ever had. And I've had many profound experiences. One of the things I talked about before on this podcast and in Sedona was uh, the day Bear was born in 2015, he came three days early, which isn't typical, but not totally off the wall uh, for your first child. And uh, he was due, um, you know, that weekend and I was watering the plants. We lived in my mom's garage at this point. I was watering the plants in the backyard that I had planted. And this hummingbird comes out. It's first thing in the morning. I'm dead sober. Hummingbird comes up to me at arm's length. And I'm like, holy shit. I mean, it's arm's length away from me, eye to eye, just at head level, just looking at me, moving a little bit left to right, left to right. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This is trippy. This is, I, it feels like a message. I don't know what the fuck this thing's saying, but 
it was, it was odd. And I just kind of shook. I was like, wow, okay, it takes off. I go to the front yard and I start watering the trees up there. And now it comes back and there's two of them. Just flapping arms length away from me at, at head height. And I was like, okay, this is something, but I, I don't understand. And I said that part out loud. I said, I don't understand. And in that moment, I could understand them. The moment I said, I don't understand, please tell me, I understood. And it was congratulations. It was thank you. It was thank you for bringing Bear to the world. Today is the day. And as you can imagine, as I'm getting choked up right now, floodgates. <laughs> so they take off. I sprint back into the garage and I tell Tosh, and maybe that influenced it. Who knows? But I told her, I was like, you'll never guess what happened. Fucking the hummingbirds just came up to me. And then a second one came up to me and they say bears come in today and they're congratulating us. And it's a big fucking deal. And uh, it was, it was a huge, it's the biggest deal. You know, you have your first child and nothing compares to that. You know, he came that night at 11.02 PM. Phenomenal stuff. And it's available to you when you say yes to it. It's always available to you. And there's people that actually help procure this. We do it at Fit for Service events by bringing in experts like Anahata Ananda. Anahata is coming back on this podcast. She is a phenomenal shamana mama. Um, she did a blessing for Wolf when she was born. She's been a part of our lives from the jump. She's absolutely incredible. One of my favorite people that I met in Sedona. She also has a new uh, facility open, Shine, which is incredible. Um, we'll link to that in the show notes. If you want a place to participate in healing work for yourself, or if you have a small group and you want to do something awesome, like we're doing at Fit for Service, but with less people, she can host 40 to 50 people there. No problem. It is one of the nicest studios I've ever been to for healing. They have incredible stuff there. And she is an incredible practitioner. And I love her for that. Anahata, um, just an amazing person. Tim Corcoran, also another amazing person that we brought in for Fit for Service events that I met through Ben Greenfield. Both of them know how to interact with nature. Both of them have spent enough time on the land in a, in a ceremonial context, with or without medicine, just ceremonial context, the right intention, and they've listened, right? And so they, they have some different practices. Um, Tim Corcoran calls it the soul wander. That's where you go out on the land quietly. You can bring water or go fasted. He recommends fasted and just hang out. You know, you walk around, you don't know where you're going. You're not, it's not a fucking hike. You wander and you listen to where you're being called to go to. And something is going to be there for you. It might be an ant. It might not be at the grizzly bear, you know, experience. It might not be the, the hawk experience. It might be something small, but there will be information there for you. And when you put yourself in that container, it does happen. There's much more to it than that, but I'm just saying, you know, the, the basics of this are quite simple. And when you do that for yourself, especially if you're in a highly tuned eco field like Sedona is, like what we're trying to create right now in Lockhart at our farm, the Gardeners of Eden, you create the container and the container knows it. And because you've put in, as you've healed the land and healed the soil and everything, all of its inhabitants, that eco field is a strong resonant cord and it affects you the moment you set foot on the land, especially if you're taking your shoes off. Um, we can enter into these places. You can create them in your backyard. You create them every day for yourself as you tune your own eco field. Meaning if I sauna, ice bath, and do a lot of the practices I'll talk about in health and at full temple reset, that creates your own eco field in the way that it's palpable. You could call that the human aura, right? And then you look beyond 
uh, the Kyle Kingsbury self to the self of the family unit, the self of my community, the self of the tribe, the self that is uh, the United States, North America, the self of the, wor- the world, the self of the cosmos. Those are all one self, right? And there is individuation in there. But you can connect and, and how you connect, if you've ever been to a place like Sedona and you're there with a bunch of awesome fucking people, that does create its own field. And it's palpable even amongst Sedona's standards. This was the feeling we all had when we were out there. It was like, oh, wow, something big is happening. This feels fucking incredible. And it was. So Tim Corcoran, Anahata, basically getting into this, how you spend time on the land. You know, Anahata uh, has you find a spot and just fucking camp. You don't hike, you just sit there. Similar to the Vision Quest, which would be four days, no food, no water. Now, Tim also runs Vision Quest. If you're interested in that, uh, we'll link to his website in the show notes. I plan on doing one, if not 2023, 2024, for sure, within the next two years with Tim. He's an amazing guy. He learned from Gilbert Walking Bull. He's incredible. The point in saying all this is, this teaches you what's possible with nature. It teaches you what's possible with getting downloads, whatever the fuck you want to call that, synchronicities. They happen when you're alone in nature. And, and that is an excellent place to tune in. A lot of people that get into this work, they're like, man, I sign up for ayahuasca and Peru and I sign up for this over here and I'm doing a mushroom ceremony next weekend, then an ecstatic dance over here. And it's all these awesome ceremonies, but they all require something else. Right, and I'm, I love this stuff. I love it. I love ayahuasca. I love psilocybin. I love all the things. I love an ecstatic dance. But to sit with yourself in nature and to let nature speak to you—that is one of the most time-honored, oldest traditions we've ever had as a people. And when it becomes real for you, and you're able to tap into that, now you realize this is your greatest resource. This is how you tap into Pachamama. This is, you know, what Will Tegel called the mother tongue. The language that's always spoken by all beings is Beastmaster technology, right? You're like, I remember when I was a kid and I watched Beastmaster, I was like, I fucking wish I could talk to animals. Guess what? In the right set and setting, in the right personal framework, you absolutely can. It doesn't mean I can command them to do my bidding like Beastmaster did, but equally, if not more importantly, they can help me out. They can teach me things that I didn't know. They can help point to different areas of my life that I need to look at. Or at the very least, they can fucking congratulate me for being a dad. Like, there's a lot there. So land stewardship is uh, something that has a lot more to do with it than just, um, you know, how do I grow the best potatoes? Or how do I start a market garden? Now, all these are important things. I'm a huge fan uh, of Japanese yams. They're my favorite potato, the big purple ones with the kind of white interior. They're uh, soft and starchy like a regular potato, um, but they're a little sweet like the yam, different flavor, the fucking best. We started growing these on the farm and Bear pulled out some that were like the size of miniature pumpkins. Like just, (laughs) they like it there. Um, But listen, when Chad comes out, it's going to be March 8th through the 12th. It'll be our first time teaching um, anything at Gardeners of Eden, and it's going to be an accreditation, meaning... And I think Chad's still working out the kinks on this, but he wants to accredit people with having gone through his program. And he's going to be teaching it exclusively at our events in Lockhart. And uh, we'll have that likely twice a year for five days at a time. The first one, again, is March 8th through the 12th, 40 people max. So these will sell out. It's not available yet. I will be talking about it more when I have Chad on the podcast. We'll have a link in the show notes uh, with where you can sign up. But for now, just mark those dates. And if you're interested, you will be able to get in. And with that, um, every time you take one of these courses, you're going to learn more. And it's 
It's to teach people this. It's to teach people how to become stewards of the land. It's to teach them how to interact with nature. It's to teach them how to listen. And it's also to teach them the very practical skill sets of how do you build a market garden? How do you have food sovereignty? How can I heal the land most effectively with the most minimal amount of inputs? Meaning, if I'm a a regenerative agriculture place and I'm serving a lot of people, but I have to bring in hundreds of thousands of pounds of peanuts each day, which are not grown regeneratively, as, as my brother Daniel Griffith points out, and it's effectively ruining a much larger acreage down the street from me than my farm is regenerating, is that actually regenerative? Probably not. It's probably not the move. It's probably not um, the greatest thing for the whole. Am I doing something good regenerating on my land? Absolutely. But if my inputs are coming from a non-regenerative place at the expense of someone else's soil, is that really helping? Maybe not. It's, you know, your, your finished product is going to be good. Um, it's going to be healthy, but it's, it's not taking all things into account. It's not taking all my relations, right? We talked about that in Sedona. Aho mitaku yasin. A lot of people say aho, you know, like it's like a, I agree. You know, one person makes a statement <laughs> and everyone says, aho, aho, aho. You know, and it's like, yeah, I agree. No, no, that's, that's not it at all. It means all my relations, all my relatives. And what you're related to is the whole fucking thing. You might not realize that yet, but you are related to the whole thing. And when we take that into account, all beings within the sacred hoop, that's when we start to effectively change and we do things that leave us more whole than when we started. This is what Anahata has been big on, one of her best teachings. Does this thing leave me more whole than when I started? Is what I do to the land going to influence, for the, is going to be for the greater good? Is it para albien de todos? Is it for the good of all? Or is it for the good of this crop yield? Is it for the good of my animals, but at the expense of the coyotes or something else, right? Like we have to factor those things into the equation. And it becomes very complex math. It's not, there's no easy there's no super easy approach to it. It requires learning and listening. Hence, all of the things we're going to cover when I have Chad there. Uh, biochar, composting, all the regular fun stuff that people need to know and want to know and should know, that's going to be there and a lot more. So I really look forward to that. You know, land stewardship has been the thing that I've hoped it's been. It's been um, fulfilling for the kids. It's been really awesome having a place to go and, and to... Uh, you know, it's like a 118 acre canvas in my mind. And I get to be, you know, one of the artists uh, in a community that helps really see what the future that looks like. And um, it's very palpable, you know, especially if, if you're used to playing in the astral, either through uh, uh, dream states or visionary states, it does you a lot of good. It does me a lot of good to have tangible things in the 3D that I can play with. The first and foremost is my body. And, and we will get to this next. Uh, the health of my body as my instrument, as my temple, is absolutely critical. It's the first thing I have control over. The, the next piece of that is what I'm around, my environment, right? And, and we, you know, my wife and I and my kids have been planting all sorts of shit. Uh, we have a flower garden, you know, on our 10th of an acre. And it brings in hummingbirds and bees. And we just hatched like four... Um, four little butterflies. We, 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 we grabbed caterpillars. We gave them extra food. We put them in a, a half gallon mason jar with a breathable top, a little mason jar. You don't put the, the metal lid on. You just put the metal uh, screw guy on over a uh, paper towel, and then they can breathe but not escape. And they cocoon up in there, and then we release them. The second they open up, we're right there watching. We had three yesterday. We had one this morning. It's an amazing thing to do with kids. 
It's so amazing. And these little caterpillars got fat and big and they made the most gorgeous butterflies. Um, but it's being, it's being in connection to that thing. And um, it really is an amazing thing to understand. You know, one of the big things that's helped me, we're going to finish off this podcast with Amnesty and Eisenstein's work, which does re- revisit COVID. For a lot of people that are like, fuck that, I'm done with it. Let me get back to my stuff. And it's true. I'm done with it too. And we do need to, we need to fix some things, right? To make sure that doesn't go down that way again. Um, but as we, before we dip into that, one of the things that's kept me sane through insane times is the serenity prayer. It's refocusing on what's in front of me. What is mine to change? What is mine to influence? And letting go of the shit that I can't, right? I can't stop the global lockdown because of the way governments are set up. But I can choose to go outside every fucking day, regardless of that lockdown. I can choose to play with my kids outdoors. I can choose to do a lot within that those parameters that, that peacefully protest and say, fuck that. And I did. And what now? You know, what now is the world continues to change and we are in a great time of upheaval. We are. We will, <laughs> spoiler alert, we'll likely see um, strong like, I would say at least 50-50 chance that we see the dollar uh, inflate to a point that causes serious crisis here in America. May not happen next year, uh, but likely within the next 10 years. And it's not just me uh, taking, you know, <laughs> little stabs like Nostradamus. Uh, Armstrong Economics has a phenomenal report on this. Um, he also has a fantastic documentary. I'll see if I can link to that in the show notes. Um, but but really, really all the, all the best reasons on why the dollar is going to crash and due to inflation and due to something else coming along and being the replacement for that. What is that? That, that I, can't, I can't change that, right? Does that mean I buy gold or silver? I don't fucking know what that means. I'm still asking questions. I'm still figuring it out. But is that in front of me right this second? No. Do I need to wrap my head around it every single day and worry about it? No. That, that, the worry and fear, fear begets more fear, as Ted Decker says. And, and perhaps bigger than that is it's disempowering, right? And, and Richard Rudd, who wrote Gene Keys, really talked about this in his vision of humanity and the prophecy that he got when he was in his three days of an altered state was was the most fantastic up-leveling of humanity, this unimaginable up-leveling. You know, he, everyone thinks of caterpillars and butterflies. He likes the dragonfly as that spirit animal totem because the dragonfly is like an ugly-ass worm that's underwater and it crawls up a grass reed and then turns itself into a dragonfly with iridescent wings that can fly in all directions like a badass. Complete control over system. There's no way you would look at that ugly little worm underwater and say, this thing becomes a dragonfly. And his point is, there's no way we look at humanity in its current state and say, this is what we up-level to. It's absolutely unimaginable. And I love that. He could be completely wrong, but I would rather align myself to that and call that in through Dispenza's work and through my own work to make that reality real. So what does that mean? That means me refocusing, not being the victim. It means me looking at the things that I can control, starting with my body and moving outward from there. Relationship is everything my relationship to myself. How do I talk to myself? I had an asshole. (laughs) I lived, I had an asshole roommate for fucking decades, especially when I fought in the UFC. And that asshole roommate voice in my head would tell me how much I sucked at every fucking moment. The second I get taken down, 
Here we go again. Now you're losing on points. He's going to fucking smash your face if you don't get up. Now you need a knockout. It's the third round and you've lost all, all both first two rounds for sure you've lost. You have to get a knockout. You're probably not going to knock him out. If you go for the knockout, he's probably going to take you down again. I mean, the worst negative monkey mind shit that anyone can imagine. If, you, if I had that guy mic'd up during a fight, you'd be like, fuck. <laughs> Give him a break, man. Like that's, that's not good. And, uh, I never mastered that in the fight game. Um, but it has been a course of mastery for me since then. And oddly enough, I put two and two together talking to Eric Godzi about this dream analysis and my hell experiences, the, that critic who hasn't come around in my day-to-day. It doesn't come around in relationships. It doesn't come around in parenting with my kids. It doesn't come around during any of those things. It comes up in the hell realm. It comes up in the deeper, darker journeys where it's just buckle up and, and surrender to what is. And uh, that, was a, that was a pretty important understanding for me, that that guy does still exist on some level. How do I address that? Um, one of the things they say to kid, well, we've been talking to Bear about this, who also has that in him when he's playing violin and makes mistakes. If you had a friend that was like that, who always came around and like, oh, you suck. Oh, you should give up. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Would that guy be your friend? No. You'd say, I can't stand this fucking guy. Get out of here. You're way too negative. You're a dick. Yet we allow this person to keep talking to us inside our heads. That's a problem, right? The relationship with yourself on a mental, emotional level is very important. The relationship to yourself on a physical level is very important. And all of these things, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, have the ability to influence all other systems. If you have a mental, emotional stressor long enough in your life, that will create physical dis-ease, guaranteed. If you don't believe that, read How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy by Paul Check. It is there. It is documented. It is known. It is known like that one, uh, Game of Thrones. So point is, circle back to self. Circle back to self starts with the relationship to yourself. And that's what we work on at Full Temple Reset. We're doing our third Full Temple Reset, January 25th through the 29th. I may or may not have Godzi back on the podcast to go over this. Um, We'll see. It just depends on, I have a lot of great guests coming up. I'll allude to some of them coming up. Um, I have a couple of awesome Green Berets, Michael Yon, who recently podcasted. I think he was on Jordan Peterson's podcast. We'll link to that in the show notes if you want to check out um, some of his talks about what's coming for us. And, uh, you know, this is more hard shit, to be perfectly honest. So, Michael Yon will be coming on. Um, very quickly, I should have Clay Martin, who was a sniper and Marine recon, and then he became a Green Beret. He's a phenomenal friend. I've talked about him before on this podcast. He has uh, written three really incredible books, uh, Concrete Jungle, Perry Fire, and then uh, I think The Curse of Wendigo. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, um, but just a great author. He's become a great friend and an ally. I met him through Tucker Max and just, just a great dude. So we have a lot of good podcasts coming up that are going to cover more of the issues per se, but really, you know, it's about relationship with self and it is about how I tend my own garden. And then what does that require? Well, it requires looking at all the things, the physical, which does influence mental, emotional. If I'm always eating like shit and I'm always feeling bad, is that critic going to be pretty happy inside my head? 
No, you might be sounding off all day long, right? But when I put good things in my body, when I listen to my body, when I go to bed on time, when I practice the last four doctors you'll ever need, a lot can happen. And it starts with things like, oh, I have less pain in my body, right? Like if, if pain was a volume control and it's normally at an eight and I turn that down to a two, does my day improve? Yeah, absolutely. How do you know? Well, I know because when I've been injured, my day is shit. I'm pissed if I can't work out. Uh, I'm irritable, highly irritable, right? If I'm not taking enough magnesium, I can get irritable for Christ's sake. So if I'm injured, yeah, that's going to be a problem. Taking care of your body is one of the foundational principles. The mental, emotional, we work on on multiple levels here. Uh, we're going to do fasting. And, and remember, there is an online version of this at the Fit for Service app or Fit for Service Academy. And um, on the app, you can get all this info there. Uh, fasting, super important. One of the most time-honored ways we create health in the body. It's giving it a reset. We create space for that. So that's something we do when we're, when we're here at this event. And we practice the fasting mimicking diet. There's a lot of great information from Dr. Walter Longo on its efficacy that the benefits last for six to 12 months. And um, it really is a way to have your cake and eat it too, have your cake and eat it too kind of deal where if you've never done a water fast or a vision quest, which is no food or water for four days, um, it's probably better that you ease into the shallow end first. And um, we do have, you do get the thumbs up medically. We have ways to well. My homie's Brigham, who is just on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast and crushed. Great job, Brigham. You did the best ever. He was a guest on my podcast prior to Rogan's. And uh, when he went on Rogan's, he absolutely slayed. He had uh, just so much, so much great information. He backed it all up and um, threw that on the website. Everything he was talking about, he backed up and supported. So thank you to him. Thank you to Ways to Well for supporting uh, the Fit for Service Full Temple Reset and, and making sure that people are healthy enough to do this thing, right? This important piece. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a medical director. I'm not a doctor. And I can't, I can't say that just by looking at somebody. So we want to we wanna take a look at you on the inside and make sure that blood work and everything's there and that you're going to be good. Also, I want a before and after. And this is some, one of the great things about Full Temple Reset or doing fasting in general is that if you have blood work before and then you get blood work even three months later after the fast, you will see a profound shift, a profound change in things that were previously unchangeable. And uh, the way I know this is because we have our N equals one of 55 people, but we also have personal experience. We also have the book, The Complete Guide to Fasting by Dr. Jason Fung, who dives into all the science behind this. Uh, on various forms of fasting, from intermittent fasting, the old 16-8, to warrior diet, eating one meal a day for 24 hours, all, any of these things, they've taken a gander at. And what they find is that all of them work to a certain degree. That's pretty remarkable. And if you're like me, it's pretty hard to do if you've got kids to feed and other things while you're at the house. So getting out for an event like this is a great way to crash course in, at the end of January after you've eaten, if you're like me, you've eaten like shit in the last two months, and it's a great way to snap yourself back into a healthy state and start the year off on a good, on a good foot. Hot and cold therapy. You know, this is, this is a no-brainer. I've spoken about this many times. I'm surprised I haven't had Dr. Rhonda Patrick to, on to talk about it since I quote her so often. Uh, one of the biggest ones is the 60% drop in all-cause mortality. When you max effort sauna, um, timing-wise, you do it, I think, five plus days a week, five to seven. There's a 60% drop in all ways you could die. Any form of disease goes down, right? This is remarkable. Why is that? Heat shock proteins is a part of it. Um, 
uh, detoxing, passive sweating, right? So when I'm lifting and working out or running, that is an active sweat that has its own benefit. But when I'm sitting there, that tends to open up detox pathways more efficiently because I'm not working hard. I'm just passively sweating. I don't know the mechanism of action behind this, but that seems to be the case. Using contrast with cold is incredibly important. You know, and it's funny because a lot of the science that Rhonda shows on this, she's talking about sauna only. But sauna, as they study it from the Nordic countries, uh, nearly always meant, according to Taro, the founder of Four Sigmatic, who is a Finnish guy, he said sauna is the only Finnish word in the English language. And in that, everyone who does sauna therapy usually has snow around them or a stream nearby that they can lay in. Sometimes that stream is 30 degrees Fahrenheit. You know, it's, it's moving, so it's not frozen yet. And sometimes it's 45 degrees, but it's always a cold bath. And they'll lay in that for a minute in between sauna rounds, and then they get back in to the hot rock style finished sauna. Two to three rounds, 15 to 20 minutes. And his old goal isn't going up to 250 degrees or any of that stuff. You keep it at uh, 100 degrees Celsius, or like 212-ish Fahrenheit, 220. And you max out the amount of times that you do that and you stay consistent. Consistency is everything. We get to do this at Full Temple Reset. We have a phenomenal finished sauna. We have a phenomenal ice bath. More importantly, when it's in Janu- late January, we get in the pool or the pond and that is damn near frozen. And it's, it's a phenomenal way to reset. That's done every single day. So again, it's all the practices that I can think of that are the most dramatic, that mean the most for a health and wellness standpoint. And I don't just mean that from like aesthetically, how you look. Like, yeah, does hot and sauna help you look better? Sure. It gets me high. It's a natural way to get high. And I love shit like that, right? Does this leave me more whole than I started? Yes. How does it make me better? Well, it's not just benefiting me on a cellular level where I'm I'm like, man, my blood work looks great. Sure. I want to fucking feel it. You know, that's why when I was at Onnit and we were creating supplements with with Aubrey and and the team at Onnit, I wanted to create something you could feel. That's why I loved Alpha Brain. You feel different when you're on Alpha Brain period. You know it's working. I wanted to create supplements you could feel. And as far as the practices are concerned that I do, I like practices I can feel. I feel better when I go in the sauna and ice bath. I get high from it. And it has a positive impact on the entire rest of my day. Someone cuts me off. If I've hit the sauna and ice bath, go ahead, brother. (laughs) I'm not in that rush. You got it. I got space for it. I'll slam on the brakes and not worry about it. Um, It it has a, a very desirable outcome of turning down the noise of life. And I can find my center a hell of a lot easier when I practice that. So we're going to get to dive into that. Now, I'm telling you all this stuff. We've heard podcasts on this before. I'm telling you all this stuff because from a health and wellness standpoint, you can do all this shit without ever showing up to to Lockhart. Absolutely. Buy a sauna, uh, get an ice bath, or or just get a sauna. If you can only afford one or the other, you can make your own ice bath from, um, what the hell were those called? Uh, chest freezer. There we go. I used to have one like that. Um, fasting, you can do by yourself, right? Strength training, one of my favorites. Strength training is, if you're to do any type of physical exercise, the most important. And it's not just meathead, bro talk. It is the most important for a number of reasons. There's a phenomenal book called Get Serious. I'm forgetting the name of the neuroscientist who wrote that, but he shows a ton of science for men and women of all ages on how impactful strength training is. And there's, you know, it's not all created equal. You know, my favorites are Easy Strength by Pavel Tatsulin and Dan John. I think that book, if I had read that in my fight career, would have helped me a shit ton. It also would have helped a lot of other fighters. If you're listening to this and you're a pro fighter, get that book. It is, it is that impactful. And it's also that impactful 
for non-professional athletes, your weekend warriors, people that are training for a marathon but have never run before. All of this matters because you don't want to overtrain. You're training general physical preparedness to prepare you for the activity you're doing, whether that's MMA or a marathon. You're only using strength training to get stronger for that event, right? And what does that mean? We train systems, not muscle groups. I'm not doing fucking curls and dumbbell kickback that I saw in Muscle Mag. I'm training movement, pull, push in all forms, overhead, straight ahead, downward. I'm doing squatting and hinging. I'm doing something dynamic like kettlebell swings or kettlebell snatch. Or one of my favorites, the steel mace, which is a dynamic movement. Also the Bulgarian bag, my brother, Mike Salemi. These are all great things. That's a part of easy strength. And then we finish with something for the core of the trunk. Ab wheel is a good one. Um, or farmer's walks. This is fucking phenomenal. It's a great way to strengthen from the ground up your entire body, grip strength, hip strength, all of it. And um, do so in a way that, that gets the CNS activated, but doesn't destroy the CNS, right? And that's really what they're big on. And if I could say it, sum it up in a nutshell for easy strength, basically what these Russian scientists and strength trainers started to figure out was everyone's trying to move the bar, literally and figuratively, between the 80 and 100% range. Can I move my max effort higher? Can I move my five rep max or my three rep max higher? And they're training in those ranges to do that. And they said, what if through consistency, we can move the 50% higher, which you're half strong with, and we never tax the nervous system. We always leave two in the tank. So you can't get hurt, right? You leave two quality reps in the tank in every lift, period. And then from there, we see if that 50% moves, how does that impact my max? How does that impact my five rep max? And that was a, a fucking a great hypothesis years ago that proved to be correct. You move your 50% up, that moved your max up. That moved your five rep max up. And most importantly, it allowed you to do that without getting hurt. It allowed you to do that and then go into your next training. It allowed you to do that and go to mixed martial arts. It allowed you to do that and do the marathon and not get hurt. Amazing shit there. We cover all this stuff. We cover a lot of Paul Check's entry-level work um, and promote a ton of his work as I do on this podcast. Paul just finished a uh, tarot workshop, the first that I was begging him to do probably a, at least a year ago. Um, that's going to be available online in a while. Once it comes available online, I'm going to let you guys know this is where you go to check this out because that is a phenomenal way to tune in and get higher levels of understanding about what you're working on in life. It's a great way to answer questions. It's a great way to tap in to the high self, the soul, whatever you want to call that. Your higher knowing is at hand when you draw those cards with intention. And he has a ton of practices that'll help you figure out even more uh, with that. So thank you, Paul. I love you, brother. Uh, altered states. We talk about this too. We finish with a ceremony, a sound healing ceremony. And um, the reason for this is fasting is a ceremony in and of itself. You know, when you do the vision quest, no food, no water, you're on the land. You have tobacco, maybe some tobacco prayer ties around you, sig signifying where your space is and protecting you potentially from predators and things like that. But you're there. And that taps you in. When you go without food or water for four days in nature, lack of sleep, all these things, that does tap you in into an altered state of consciousness. Being fasted does that to a certain degree. Now, even though it's fasting mimicking and we get a little shake each day on a 24-hour warrior diet style, there's a lot of benefit to that as well. And I wanted to stack all the things that I know that are important. So we do have a ceremony in, uh, in the vision quest, or not in the vision quest, but in, in the, uh, at the end of the 
five-day fasting mimicking diet at, at Full Temple Reset. And sound healing is incredibly important. It is also that much more valuable for you when coming from a fasted state. And I don't say every time you go to a sound healing, you should fast, but I'm just saying it's awesome when we stack these and it makes a big difference. Um, there really is all types, you know, there, the festival itself. We did Arcadia this year for the first time. We're running it back next year. Festival in and of itself, Charles Eisenstein spoke quite a bit about this, was a time where people got to put on a mask and stop being themselves. Literally, you would dress up Mardi Gras. Think about these things. You'd put on the mask so you could be whoever the fuck you wanted to be for a day, right? And it was about play. It was about celebration. It was also about liberating yourself of having to be all the things and all the roles that you always are. Very important form of ceremony when treated that way. Burning Man is that. It's a festival ceremony. Can be if you treat it that way. Ayahuasca, phenomenal. Uh, the Vision Quest, phenomenal. All different forms of ceremony and altered states. And you can get to an amazing altered state through breathwork alone. Um, when we were in Sedona, we had just a, just an amazing time putting our largest groups of people through breathwork. We had all the caretakers there. Anahato was there, Lucas and Hella. Um, such a great group, Jaggers, myself, Godzi, Aubrey, everybody that was full force in guiding 120 people through breathwork twice outdoors uh, under some tents. And it was magical and a lot moved. You move big energy in a group that big. And many people had some of the most transformative experiences of their life at that point. People who had plant medicine experience. It was really remarkable. And this this, this is a tenet of health. We can control our breath. We can say yes to ceremony. And this isn't just saying yes to drugs. There's, remember, all kinds of ceremonies that we can put ourselves through. And they are critical. They are tenets of health. They work on, they tap us into the spiritual. They help us not only with guidance and downloads, but they help redirect and make what we're doing fun. They give us the why we're here, right? And, and Mark Gaffney talked about that. Um, so the, this uh, first face of Eros, he talks about being on the inside and not just being on the inside, being on the inside of God's face is how it's translated. Think about that. If you're on the inside of God's face, what does that mean? That means I'm seeing with God's eyes. That means I'm seeing things the way the all consciousness, the all knowing understands it, right? You're fully in it beyond flow state or whatever you want to call that. You're fully immersed, full, full presence, another face of Eros. When you're there, nobody questions what is the meaning of life. Why am I here? Right? There's no question like that. Uh, Paul Selig has a great story of a big dude who kind of looked like me, cross between me and Paul Bunyan. And he's driving along the road. And uh, he's asking God, why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I here? Over and over again. And he pulls up to this, this tree that's fallen over in the road. And he's like, oh, shit. So he gets out and he tries to lift it and he realizes, well, I'm just big enough to get this thing off. And he takes it off the road, clears the lanes, gets back in. Why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I here? Not realizing that why you're here is, is what's right in front of you. It's the work of the day. It's the thing that's right in front of you. And I've, I've been sideswiped in the last two and a half years about what's right in front of me. It's taken me a long journey to circle back to that, especially in lieu of what's happening on a larger scale. But it's the work of the day. It's the work of what's right in front of you. And this makes it, makes it easier to address, right? It's right there. The fullness of Eros generates a mood of creativity and capacity which suffuses the ethos of our lives. It fills us with a feeling of delight that makes life feel self-evidently good. It's from Gaffney. Self-evidently good. 
right? When we're in the festival, no one's saying why you shouldn't be at least, but if you're in the damn thing, if you're on the inside of it, you don't question that, right? And it is just as important for us to participate in things like joy. How do I participate in joy? Do something fucking fun. And that is a personal thing, right? I don't know what's fun for you, but do that thing. And if that fun doesn't leave you more whole than when you started, meaning if I go eat a giant pizza, and again, I hate the bad mouth pizza. I do love it. I don't feel good when I eat it. It doesn't leave me more whole than when I started, right? It's paying for fun on on credit. I got to pay that back, right? When something leaves me more whole than when I started, it's self-evidently good. I understand the whole reason I did it. I understand what it did for me. I understand it all. And just the self-evident fact that I want to do that and it feels great. Sex is that thing. When you have sex with the right person, you're like, fuck yeah. If it's not the right person, the first thing that happens after orgasm is, oh God, I made a mistake. What did I do? That That's just immediate. There's no denial of it. Right after orgasm is like it kind of, <laughs> this happened quite a bit in college. I was just like, oh no. <laughs> you know, like, and not because I came too fast. That was a given, but because I just fucking realized that I should not be with this person. My penis did the thinking, right? But sex with someone you love, sex in the right context, even if it isn't some you love, even if it's just play, right? But you know, the container's been set. The agreements have been made. It's in honest communion. When you experience that, it's self-evidently good, right? And when you're on the inside of that, you're not thinking about emails. You're not thinking about the work you didn't get to. You're not thinking about the last argument you last had. If you're on the inside of it, right? And that doesn't mean penetration. It means, it means soul penetration, right? When you're deep inside yourself and deep inside another person, you get it. It makes sense. And, and if you haven't guessed it yet, I'm mean, a big part of my talk in Sedona was really around the alchemy of the light and the dark, the alchemy of Watiko. And it's funny that it took me, you know, two and a half, three years to figure this out. But reading Mark's work, it really helped me to grasp the thing I was searching for originally when I did 30 grams of mushrooms. I remember my wife saying, she was very nervous about it. I'm like, look, this guy did it for 30 years. He didn't die. He's incredibly well-spoken. You can watch his videos with me. I'm ready. And uh, she's still nervous as she should have been. But she was like, well, I don't understand. What are you searching for? You know, and I said, I, I want to know the inner workings of consciousness. I want to intimately know what God is. I want to know me. I want to know the inner layers of me. I want to know how this all works. I want to know what the point is. And it was not on the inside, but the intention was real. And when I read Mark's work, especially his latest, I understand this is exactly the story that he's been tracking. I talked about this in the intro last week, so forgive me for repeating, but this is the thing. This is his life's work. He's, he's asked the same questions and he's tracked it. He's tracked it because he's worked with the greatest teachings of all time. You know, he's worked with teachers that are long dead. He's, his ability to read in, in ancient languages, Aramaic and Hebrew, and understand these things in a way that most modern people don't, and then thread them together in the tapestry of a new story is beyond what most people are capable of. And uh, thank you, Mark. Thank you, brother, for helping me to understand three years later, this is the thing I was searching for. And it's not just Mark's work, right? He's a big part of this tapestry, but it's all of our work. It's all of our work and stepping out of victimhood and stepping back into power that we have, 
power that we have is immense, but it's gonna be diminished if we don't take care of ourselves. It's gonna be diminished if we live the fallacy of I'll be happy when, or if we live the fallacy of I'm gonna burn the candle at both ends to give birth to this thing, when in reality, we need to take better care of ourselves so that we have more staying power, right? Endurance improves if I'm healthy and if I put the right fuel in my body. It's also improves if I continue to hydrate and continue to put more fuel in my body. <laughs> Endurance will go away if I don't take care of myself. And we have a lot to endure right now. I'm not talking about running. I'm talking about as a culture, we have a lot to endure right now. And it's critical that we take care of ourselves. Doesn't matter right or left, whatever the fuck you think this world is. There are so many things that have come into the light in the last few years. Systems that don't work, that are, that they're without doubt, we can all agree they don't work. How do we fix those? Most people get stuck in the, this isn't working, it's wrong. Blame that guy. This isn't working, it's wrong. Blame that girl. That solves nothing. As Daniel Griffith pointed out, we need parallel systems put in place that can work at the same time. Vaclav Havel talked about this in, in The Power of the People. Uh, when the communist regime came into the Czech Republic and he went to jail for four years, he came out, he became president. It was the parallel systems that allowed them to not be fully taken over into the Soviet Union. It's very important. And some of these guys that I'm going to have on the podcast are going to dive a little deeper into that. Not just totalitarianism, which is a major concern, but how socialism creeps in. What does that actually look like when it's here, right? I loved Bernie. I loved the idea of free, free college and all that. And then, and then as I started paying taxes, I'm like, oh, oh, that's not free. It's not free. And nor can I ask a teacher to teach for free, right? I teach and it ain't free. It, it costs me a lot of money to learn what I learn. And more importantly than the money, it costs me a lot of time and energy, a lot of effort to learn what I know. And you can do it for yourself, right? Goodwill hunting. Uh, you, you got a degree for, for uh, you know, $300,000. You got $300,000 in student loan debt. You could have got for $3.50 late charges at your local library, right? True, but I'll have a degree. That whole scene. Most of my education came post-college. And it came not at the public library, but from ordering books on Amazon and going to fucking Barnes & Noble, right? You can have that education if you make it your passion. If it becomes your vocation, if it's the thing that lights you up, that desire leads you to, whatever you desire, you'll know it. You'll know it inside now. So trust that. Also trust that it's your work to do that. It's your work to see your full potential. No one else does that for you. When someone comes to me, you know, or anyone for that matter, to lose weight, I don't make them lose weight. Nobody else makes them lose weight. They make themselves lose weight, right? You're your accountability coach. And you're the one who will see yourself come to your full potential. I am the one who's going to see Kyle Kingsbury come into his full potential. No one else. I'll have help along the way. Fuck yeah. I'll have Paul Checks. I'll have Mark Gaffney's. I'll have Aubrey Marcus. I'll have all the great people that I've aligned myself with to help me. But it's me that makes that happen. It's me that stays up late. Not too late, but 10 p.m. is late for me these days. It's me that stays up late reading and learning, but still going to bed on time and still meditating every day, and still doing all the things that I know make my life better and leave me more whole than when I started. And that is the request or the offering on this podcast of today is how do we come to that? How do we understand, stop being the victim, take back what's ours, starting with our bodies and beyond, and start to work in a direction that leaves us more whole than when we started. Sedona was phenomenal. Uh, definitely hope for more time to speak at it next time. I'm not going to re-rabbit hole 
as I had originally thought, all of the stories for story time. Maybe that'll come up at a different time. But the truth is there's shit that I, I don't remember until <laughs> fucking days later. I'm like, that would have been a great story. That was a great synchronicity. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Well, they're there. They're there. And, it, and that's the other thing that's cool is like when you understand it for yourself and you know it, gnosis, when you know it viscerally, it happens it can happen so often and it can matter so much. Again, it's not just little things like, oh, the hawk cried when I planted these plants. No, it's like there can be big deal shit like the hummingbirds. There can be other big deal shit like uh, the story I told with Charles Eisenstein on the land with the, the cotton mouth swimming over to my knee. Uh, eye to eye contact just hanging out with me, right? The <laughs> fucking water moccasin on my leg for what felt like an eternity. And I had this weird bee yellow jacket thing on my left knee. That, that shit's palpable. It's real. And it happens in those scenarios. When you start to tune your instrument, these things become more available. And it's not just, I want a six pack. That's cool. It's, it's being a better tuning fork. It's being a better tuning fork that allows you to weather the storm of what's coming. Michael Mead talked about this, the collective initiation that's happening. And I brought this up on our podcast. Uh, Maladoma Patrice Somme says, it's not an initiation of death isn't on the line. And the great Maladoma Patrice Somme passed away recently. Um, he was a mentor and a colleague of Michael Mead's. And I'm like, of course, you're Michael Mead, you're the fucking greatest storyteller of all time. Of course, that's your fucking homie. Um, but Michael Mead really pointed that out. You know, No matter which side of the fence you're on, you're drawn in. You're drawn in to the game. All of humanity is waking up to the fact that big changes are in place. And it is more important than ever that we have a shared vision of what we're going to create and a shared vision of what's right and a shared vision of how to go about that. Mark Gaffney has a few things on uh, rollmate, soulmate, and wholemate, which I'll just lightly touch on. Rollmate, you look at this in your partnerships. Rollmate is you have a partner and um, you know I decide, well, I'm going to go to work and Tasha's going to watch the kids. All right, cool. There's, there's a couple roles we have there. I bring in the money. She watches the kids. Um, she, she does the laundry. I can't stand laundry. I love doing dishes. She'll still do the dishes sometimes if I'm busy um, and I'll help her with laundry on occasion if I'm around but it's really, I like to do the dishes and she likes to do the laundry. Uh, what else? Uh, we both do diapers. That's an that's a equal parent thing, right? So we have these roles. And then if you just stick and rollmate, what ends up happening is you fall back into you know, what culture's in. Uh, a society based on win-lows metrics that's competitive, right? So it's like, hey, I don't know if you, you noticed, but I, as Aubrey's fucking hilariously pointed this out. I don't know if you noticed, but um, I vacuumed and uh, I did the dishes and uh, dusted and I got that really nice screen cleaner on Amazon and I got our, our big screen all cleaned up. But um, yeah, I don't know if you saw that, you know, and it's kind of like you're keeping tally, tally of all the good you're doing and you hope the other person recognizes that all the good that you're doing. And if they, if it's consistently that you're doing more than they are, that becomes a little bit of a problem. It's a problem because of reciprocity. Are we both giving? And are we both giving in a way that's fulfilling? Um, five Love Languages talks about this. You might, I, my, my love languages touch, Tasha's love languages touch. I'm almost guaranteed Bear's love languages touch. And there's other ones too, right? So if I'm tackling all the ways that they receive love, they should feel it. But if I'm only sending them love the way that I know love, they may not feel it, right? So reciprocity begins to be a little bit more tricky and complex 
than just I did the dishes and you did the laundry. Um, I talked about this with Mark too. Like my foreplay is watching the kids. It's giving her a break. She's with them all fucking day, every day. Shout out to moms that have that full-time deal. It's very difficult. So when I can alleviate that and then I add something nice, like do a sauna ice bath, take care of yourself, get a massage, whatever that case is, that is foreplay. It's foreplay for parents. It's, it's, it's greasing the groove, right? If she's dead tired and just needs a break and I'm like, cool, let me rub your shoulders and, and uh, you know, we'll have a little dry farm wine. That doesn't fucking make up for the thing she's needing. It's not addressing the thing she's needing, right? And that's an important thing to understand. Uh, as you become soulmates, you move beyond the role mate. You transcend and include, right? Just because we become soulmates doesn't mean that I stop going to, to work to make money and she stops watching the kids. Doesn't mean I stop doing the dishes and she stops doing the laundry, you transcend and include roommates in becoming soulmates. And you love each other like no one else. You do more for each other. There's, there's likely as soulmates, reciprocity is met. And then we move into something else entirely. We transcend and include soulmate and we move into wholemate. W-H-O-L-E. Uh, my buddy, <laughs> Clayton, who works with us at Fit for Service, uh, he's, he's quite open, but he said, uh, he goes, uh, <laughs> He goes, I'm, I'm still searching for my homemate, uh, W or, or, or no W, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I was fucking roaring. Anywho, the homemate. The homemate is when you share a collective vision, when you share a collective vision looking at the horizon, right? Like, can I be arm in arm with my wife and see the horizon of what's coming and share the, sim- the same vision? What are we going to create with this? A, what do we see ahead of us? And B, how do we respond? What do we create? And humanity is at a critical point in time where it's not just me and Tosh doing that or me and Aubrey doing that. We must connect the dots and we must connect the dots, not in solving the who needs to go to jail scenario. That, that doesn't change anything. It, we need to connect the dots so we can share a collective vision of the future and how we go about that, Right. Do we carbon tax to get rid of things? Probably isn't going to change shit. It's just going to add more taxes to be misspent. Um, side note. <laughs> Fucking side note. It ain't going to do a damn thing. All right. I'm going to read this here. Oh, come on. Let me read it first. All right, cool. All right. So Eisenstein, I'm going to link to this in the show notes. Eisenstein... I love that. So even if you're a dick like I just was and you you go to look at something for free, you can. Let me read it first. There's an available clickable option. Charles, you're the best. He takes donations and is fully supported through donation model. You know, he's it's one of the he's one of the biggest influences on why we did that this year with Fit for Service. And we are still working out the nuts and bolts of that going into next year. We're going to have a lot of changes as needed to make sure that we still get to eat our food and put on these events. Um but Charles is leading the way with this form. And he talks a lot about it in sacred economics, the gift economy. Uh, I give Charles 20 bucks a month to be a part of his Substack. You don't have to pay that much. You can pay more than that, but it's worth it because Charles sets aside as much time as I set aside to podcast. He does that too. He's got a podcast. He's also a dad. He's also got a lot more going on than I do as a speaker. And he still writes some of the most phenomenal content that's available right now. And it's phenomenal, not because of confirmation bias and he says all the things that I want him to say. He doesn't. He grounds my ass into a reality where I can't just point fingers at Klaus Schwab and say, he's the reason the world is shit. 
I can't do that. I can't do that for a number of reasons. First and foremost, as a victim, it leaves me powerless from doing anything about it. But I'm going to read this article. Um, Amnesty, yes, and here is the price. We'll link to it in the show notes too if you want to take off and just read it later uh, or listen in to my lovely narration voice. A recent article in The Atlantic, quote, let's declare a pandemic amnesty, end quote, has been making waves in the COVID dissident community. I will add just a few more notes to devastating commentaries by Eugipius, part one and two, Madhava Seti, MD, El Gato Malo, and others. I realize many of my readers are not interested in anything COVID, but the point I intend to make applies far beyond this particular issue. And having read it completely twice, I completely agree. The article written by Brown University economics professor Emily Oster proposes that we forgive and forget the crimes against the public perpetrated during the COVID years. Her main argument seems to be that they weren't really crimes. They were just the result of ignorance. We were in the dark, she says. We didn't know yet that social distancing was ineffective, that cloth masks were useless, that school closures were unnecessary and harmful, that vaccines didn't prevent transmission, and so forth. Honest mistakes should not be punished. Leaving aside for a moment that fact that quite a few of us did know and were ridiculed and censored by people like Emily Oster and publications like The Atlantic, we can agree that honest mistakes should not be punished. We might even question whether punishment is necessarily the right response to legal or moral transgression. There is something much more important than seeing the guilty punished. It is to make sure the crimes don't happen again. I could repeat that whole first part, but let that sink in. With that goal in mind, the first question is, why? Why did the majority of Americans and an even larger majority of educated people, like Professor Oster, not know the truth? The main reason we were in the dark is that we were purposely kept there, is that we were purposely kept there through coordinated propaganda and censorship. A second, more important question, why, is why were we so susceptible to that propaganda to begin with? Herein lies the problem with the kind of amnesty Professor Oster advocates. It allows the architects and cheerleaders of COVID madness to stay in power. And the processes by which they commandeered science, government, and media to remain shrouded in darkness. It allows the crimes to happen again. Professor Oster seems to think that the misguided policies of the COVID era arose because we had only glimmers of information and could not have known better until the science, in caps, eventually settled manners. But the travesty was that COVID policy was not just the result of honest mistakes, it was also the result of corruption and criminality. We do not know its full extent. We don't know, for example, whether the pandemic started with an accidental lab leak or a deliberate release. We don't know whether the virus was engineered as a bioweapon or only created for the same kind of research used to engineer bioweapons. We don't know to what extent social media and payment platforms expelled dissidents due to direct orders from government operatives, or just conform to hysteria's dictates. We don't know exactly by what process fraudulent studies were published to discredit generic and natural treatments for COVID. Ivermectin, y'all. We don't know how the decision was made to ignore numerous vaccine safety signals. If we never learn the truth of what happened and how, then what is to stop it from happening again? 
It may well be that people like Emily Oster were innocently ignorant of the truth of COVID mandates, lockdowns, masks, and vaccines, dupes of a corrupt information environment. However, I don't think it is quite so simple. Reading her COVID-era tweets, it looks more like she had misgivings, but was afraid to voice them directly. So she said things according to the formula. Of course I support blank, but don't you think we might be going a little too far? She's still doing that. Consider the following passage. When the vaccines came out, we lacked definitive data on the relative efficacies of the Johnson & Johnson shot versus the mRNA options from Pfizer and Moderna. The mRNA vaccines have one out, but at the time, many people in public health were either neutral or expressed a J&J preference. The misstep wasn't nefarious. It was the result of uncertainty. All right, that's from Emily. Back to Charles. Okay, fine. The mRNA mRNA vaccines are more efficacious than the J&J. But let's fact check that with some missing context. The mRNA vaccines are themselves woefully ineffective. They don't stop infection, transmission, hospitalization, or death. For some age groups and time periods, their effectiveness is actually negative. The vaccinated are more susceptible to COVID than the unvaccinated. Apparently, this is still something Oster doesn't know, although we in the dissident community have known it for at least a year. And it appears that a growing majority of the public knows it too, judging by the low uptake of the booster shots. So why didn't she know? It's not that the information wasn't available. Oster explains away the dissident community's early knowledge as lucky guesses, uncanny prescience, an accident. She calls it, quote, being right for the wrong reasons, end quote. But counter-narrative information is available and always has been for those willing to see it. We knew because we looked outside approved sources. We did our own research, and we were predisposed to do so because we already doubted the soundness of institutional science and the informational and regulatory complex surrounding it. Those like Oster, who derive status from that very system, rarely question it. If Oster and the establishment she represents are willing to ask, quote, why didn't we know when the information was readily available? How could we have been so blind? How did the information environment become so distorted? Where has my trust been misplaced? Who misled us and why? End quote. Then I would be inclined to forgive them. It would show that they have learned something and might not fall into lockstep with the next authoritarian terror campaign. When someone asks for forgiveness, one expects that they take some kind of responsibility for their mistake. Otherwise, they are just excusing themselves. Amnesty for the criminally corrupt is another matter. These are people who moved by power, profit, or vanity, and with varying degrees of deliberateness, caused millions of unnecessary deaths and immeasurable suffering. Yes, millions. If one counts for if one accounts for the suppression of effective treatments, and again, y'all, read The Real Anthony Fauci by Bobby Kennedy if you want stats on this stuff. The vastly underreported deaths from vaccine reactions and the 150 people, million, 150 million people who joined the ranks of the world's hungry due to lockdowns. Price of forgiveness for the Emily Osters of the world, those who went along with the medical totalitarianism, is honest inquiry, self-reflection, and apology. Actor Tim Robbins offers a decent example of that. What is the price of amnesty for the COVID criminals? Their price is disclosure. In a moment, I will explain why this proposal is not near mere conciliation. But first, I want to acknowledge the level of justifiable anger among those harmed by the COVID regime. I am angry too. 
Some of my fellow dissidents suspected me of being soft on communism. That's a Cold War term. I mean, soft on COVIDism. They think that if I'm not howling for blood, it is because I must have risked, I must not have risked anything or suffered any harm. Well, if I did play it safe, I didn't do it very well. My writings were denounced by my publisher, by dedicated email to their entire mailing list, and on the front page of their website. My name became radioactive. I was canceled from events and programs where other speakers took the ethical stand of refusing to be on the program if Eisenstein was on it. I lost vast swaths of my audience and income. I was repudiated by longtime allies. Thought leaders and influences devoted entire programs and articles to denounce me to probably millions of people. That was my 15 minutes of infamy. In addition, my wife lost her acupuncture license for refusing the jab. One of my sons suffered what he called the worst experience of my life within 24 hours of getting vaccinated, pressure to do so in order to attend school and socialize with friends. It was just about the worst experience of my life too, hearing his misery on the phone and wondering if he was going to live. I realize none of this compares to the suffering of those who lost health, jobs, or loved ones, but I think I have risked and suffered enough under the COVID regime to contribute my opinion. The exchange of amnesty for disclosure is not a gesture of conciliation. It is, in fact, the most powerful way to make sure nothing like this happens again. First, it initiates a chain reaction of confession by putting conspirators in a prisoner's dilemma situation. If, for example, Anthony Fauci believes his colleagues or underlings will reveal his role in ramming remdesivir through the approval process or confess that, quote, we all knew that all along that the vaccines were harming people and we instructed the CDC to ignore it, end quote, then he may, be, he may preemptively confess himself. The principle at work here is the same that informs the plea bargain in the criminal justice system. Ostensibly, the plea bargain aims towards the prosecution of bigger fish. But there is an unconscious moral impulse in it as well. When someone comes clean, forgiveness is natural. And punishment becomes superfluous or even socially counterproductive if it doesn't offer the offender has a chance to mend his ways and earn back the trust of society. Something similar holds in personal relationships. If someone displays awareness of how they have wronged you and contritely apologizes for it, you probably won't have much desire to punish them, even if you might not readily trust them again either. Or instead, you also have the option of holding their transgression against them to assert dominance, flipping the roles of victim and perpetrator and continuing the pattern. Let's not continue the pattern. Let us inaugurate an era of accountability based in transparency rather than punishment. The invisible workings of the COVID machine must be laid bare if we are to prevent something similar from happening again. People and institutions must become cognizant of the role they played in the social catastrophe that was COVID. I will support amnesty when universities admit that they coerced young people to take unnecessary and dangerous vaccines. I will support amnesty when Pfizer describes how it manipulated data to get its shots approved. I will support amnesty when regulators confess that they allowed shoddy vaccine manufacturing processes to proceed without oversight. I will support amnesty when medical boards and hospitals acknowledge that they expelled doctors for using beneficial therapies. I will support amnesty when the FDA admits that it removed helpful drugs from the market. I will report amnesty... I will support amnesty when social media platforms acknowledge that they censored important, true information. I will support amnesty when fired workers are reinstated with back pay. This just happened, and I'm, uh, Charles knows this for sure. It just happened in New York. Watch the dominoes fall on this one. 
I will support amnesty when the state of Rhode Island reinstates my wife as a licensed acupuncturist. I will support amnesty when the government acknowledges vaccine damage and compensates the victims. I will support amnesty when the regulatory agencies are freed of corporate influence. I will support amnesty when vaccines are subjected to long-term, robust scientific study to determine safety and efficacy. I will support amnesty when mainstream media gives attention to the dissidents and whistleblowers it has ignored and ridiculed. I will support amnesty when brave, conscientious doctors like Peter McCullough and Meryl Nass are reinstated by professional organizations and medical boards. I will support amnesty when a moratorium is declared on genetically engineered bioweapons research and its full extent made transparent to the public. These are the kind of things that would have to happen for me to trust that amnesty wouldn't mean license to repeat the crimes, again, with the excuse of, we didn't know. Okay, Professor Oster, you didn't know. Do you now? Do you know now? Show us. Make the effort to get to the bottom of why you didn't know. Believe me that I speak for many when I say truly, we do not want revenge. We do not want to gloat. We do not want to keep score. We want this to never happen again. Shout out to Charles Eisenstein. Uh, this will be linked in the show notes. Please, f- fucking, it will be the best present you ever get yourself if you donate to Charles and get hooked up to his mailing list on Substack. I am always floored and blown away. And thank you, brother, because you've offered me so much reflection and uh, a much a much easier way of refreshing and recentering myself so I can operate from the center and not from a place of panic or anger, even though there still is anger. And that's it for the solo cast, y'all. Check the show notes. There's a lot of information in there. And um, I love y'all. We'll be back soon with with, uh, Clay Martin, hopefully next week. I think I'm getting him this weekend.